0: Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to Myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Joanne Austin Wiseman is home. She's made it to the Father's house. She's arrived in the place that Jesus has prepared for her. In her 87 years of life, she saw where Jesus was going and she followed Him all the way. Thursday, we buried Joanne on a beautiful Wincep's Hill in Salem, Virginia, right next to her parents. In that thin place, it felt fitting to pray. We stand where earth and heaven meet, where life is brought to death, and death is made the gate of glory looking out at the endless overlap of the Blue Ridge and up to that seemingly infinite cloudless sky, we could see the truth that Joanne knows. That as good and as beautiful as life here can be, that we have only begun to see the glory of God unfolding just beyond the horizon. That as much as we make ourselves home here, that this world is not our home. That at death, Jesus will usher all of us into the Father's house where He has made a place for us. And that is good news. It's good news for those of us who grieve the death of our mothers on Mother's Day, like Elizabeth and Cynthia grieve Joanne, and like you grieve the death of your mothers and your fathers no matter how long it's been since you lost them. And it's good news for mothers who have had to bury children stolen by gun violence. It's good news for those women who after their abortion wonder what their unborn child would have been like and wonder what their lives would have been like with that child. It is good news for mothers who have lost children to illness and accident and suicide And mothers whose children were miscarried or did not live long enough on their own strength after birth or were not conceived at all. It's good news for those mothers who haven't seen their baby since birth, whose babies call other women mommy, who probably won't ever see their children again in this life And mothers who could not say goodbye to their babies, however young or old they were when they died alone from the coronavirus. The good news is that Jesus met all of those mothers and all of those children and all of our lost loved ones in His embrace on the other side. And that He will meet all of us too when we cross from life to death and from death to life again. The good news on this fifth Sunday of Easter is that though from dust we came and to dust we shall return, that somehow in the mystery of Christ that we are also raised up in glory to be with the Father. One of the family members at the funeral on Thursday proclaimed this gospel to me as we walked in the graveyard he was excited that he was going to finally look into the face of Jesus. She was talking about her husband of 15 years who had died in February. She wasn't just saying what she thought the preacher wanted to hear, she held these hard fought words of hope at the same time that she held the tissue dabbing her tears. She still wakes up heartbroken every day that her husband is not by her side. And she still feels the loss of her first husband who she was married to over 40 years. She said to me, there's no shame in crying. Jesus went through everything we go through. And Jesus cried too. May we all have the same kind of faith. I call it faith because grief is a part of faith. Grief is a part of faith because grief is the cost of love. Grief is the love that we feel when we refuse to let death take love away from us. Grief is our unwillingness to give up on the love we know will ultimately win when a new heavens and a new earth come down and God wipes every tear from our eyes. Grief is a part of our faith because grief is our saying to the ways of death that steal life from us, no, this is not how it should be. This is not how it will be. Jesus felt this same grief in the face of the power of death in His own life. The same Greek word used for troubled in our passage and the phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled, is used three other times in the Gospel of John to describe Jesus. Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved when He went to the home of Mary and Martha and found Lazarus already dead for three days and His sisters weeping and wailing and screaming in pain. So Jesus wept and wailed and screamed in pain too. Not just because He missed Lazarus, and hated seeing Mary and Martha cry, but because he was sick and tired of his beloved and all of humanity living in bondage to death. Through his tears, Jesus went to the tomb and shouted, Lazarus, come out! And Lazarus was resurrected and reunited with his sisters, the first fruits of the resurrection of Jesus and his reunification with the Father, and the first fruits of our resurrection and our reconciliation with God and each other. A few days later, Jesus travels to Jerusalem for what will be the last week of his life. And he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Jesus' soul was troubled because He knew the death He would choose to face and because He saw the fear of death in the eyes of His disciples. But Jesus also knew that the grain of wheat of His life would fall to the ground and bear in Him new life for all creation. And when He said of His death... And then He said of His death and resurrection, the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. A few days later, Jesus gathered His disciples together and washed their feet. Then Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, very truly I tell you, one of you will betray Me. The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing, and they looked at each other trying to figure out who it would be. And Jesus told them that it would be the one whom He dipped the bread in the dish and gave it to Him. Judas took the bread and went out the back door. And then Jesus shocked them all by saying, seemingly in response to His betrayal, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you you should also love one another, including Judas. In all three of these conversations, Jesus is both deeply troubled by the death that reigns so fully in this world that not even He would escape it, but also fully trusts that His death will not be the end, and that our deaths will not be the end, that our relationship with God will live on. Jesus trusts that not even His death can separate Him from the Father, and that not even our own deaths will separate us from God either. Jesus knew the truth Paul would be inspired to write in Romans that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And so Jesus tells His disciples and to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe. Trust in God. Believe. Trust in Me. These are not just imperatives in Greek syntax, but imperative practices for all who would be followers of Jesus. It's not about believing that we can avoid being troubled by death. Not even Jesus avoided that but believing that sustained by the love of God, we can face our own deaths and the deaths of our loved ones without our troubled hearts carrying us to a place of despair. Because death brings us all the way home to God. This life is good, but for followers of Jesus, it is not the final destination. Jesus says in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. Jesus says in my Father's house, I go to prepare a place for you. The truth is that no matter how many houses we buy and how many places we live, we are always searching for home. The frozen nostalgia of our childhood memories are shattered when we return home and we don't belong as we thought we would. Some of us couldn't go home if we tried. We've been rejected by the ones whom we thought would love us most and banished from the place we thought we would always be welcome. Some of us have never felt safe in our homes with the constant threat of abuse. And we know in these days of stay-at-home orders that intimate partner violence and child abuse is only rising. Some of our homes we thought we could always rest in have been shaken from the foundations to divorce, and conflict, and death. Some of our homes that used to reverberate with laughter and play now creak with loneliness. Some of us don't feel at home in minds full of anxiety, fear, and thoughts of self-harm. Some of us don't feel home in bodies that have aged and been injured or become addicted. Jesus is preparing a home for us that will finally bring us the comfort and safety and peace and joy that we long for and never fully receive in this life. But we must not let this image of home be too literal for us. For if we reflect on the places we feel most at home even now, they are the places in which we feel most connected in relationship and likewise, the home that Jesus is preparing for us is not made of brick or stone or wood or the gold of our heavenly fantasies, but found within the life of the living, breathing God. John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart. But the Greek here is much more intimate. Something like, it is God, the only Son, who is in the Father's bosom. Jesus tells us that He will come again and will take us to Himself so that where He is, there we will be also. After Jesus died, He went back to the place in the bosom of the Father. And when we die, we go there too. But we also need to be careful about making this image only about the future. When asked about what happens when we die, C.S. Lewis wrote something like that God in His mercy simply grants us what we most wanted, what we most longed for, what we most pursued in this life. And for those of us who have made space within ourselves for God, who cultivate an openness to relationship with God, the connection deepens to fulfillment until at death, God and we are one, just like Jesus is at one with the Father. In other words, it's not just about a heavenly dwelling we enter one day, but an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that invites us even now into the life of God. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. The good news, sisters and brothers, is that as we walk with Jesus toward our final destination, our homesick hearts find a little bit of home along the way. And that's what the preacher in the graveyard proclaimed to me with the blue skies and green mountains pointing heavenward. Her husband could be excited about seeing the face of Jesus because he had looked to the face of Jesus in his life. A life full of joy and sorrow and everything in between. A life that ended in the agony of cancer and in the eternity of Jesus' embrace. In a slight fair paraphrase of the words of Paul, for now, we see Christ in a mirror dimly, but then we will see Him face to face. Now we only know Christ in part, but then we will know Christ fully, even as we have been fully known. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Come home to the Father today. He opens the door for you in part on earth as it will one day open fully for you in heaven. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, it will and always will be, world without end. Amen and amen.